0: Hi, welcome to the Bioinformatics chat. Today we'll be talking about CRISPR. So you know that CRISPR can be used to knock out or edit genes, uh, but it's not a precise text editor where you can delete precisely some letters. Uh, it can result in all sorts of mutations. And today we'll be talking to seung Wo Cho and ho Lee, who designed a Program to analyze those mutations. ho Haojun welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your invitation.
0: I'm curious to know about your uh, personal backgrounds and and how you got to study or work with uh, CRISPR. Sungwoon, let's let's start with you.
1: My background is um, actually the developing the genome engineering technology. So. Um, like six years ago, I was one of the world's first person to show the CRISPR can be used for genome engineering. So we showed that the CRISPR can edit the eukaryotic genome, including the human. And then I came to Stanford to study the human genome functions using CRISPR.
0: Cool. Hajun, what, uh, what about you? So
2: my background is bioinformatics, especially in cancer genomics. So analyzing patient data, sequencing data to decide which treatment option is best for them, or what is their prognosis and diagnosis and so on. So kind of it's precision medicine or personalized medicine. So I I like analyzing all the sequencing data in many different ways, and soon when I work in the same building in Stanford. So we talk each other a lot and then soon is complaining about insertion deletion calling at the CRISPR Cas9 sites and so on. Okay, maybe I can help you out. That's how we end up analyzing CRISPR. I'm usually analyzing whole exome, whole genome, cancer patient data, but this is my first time to analyze CRISPR Cas9 mutation. But my specialty is actually in the baryon calling in any sequencing data. So it was my perfect alternative of other application, interesting application.
0: Right. Uh, so Singwoo, you study CRISPR in general, like all things related to CRISPR or do you have some specific uh, goal that you're trying to achieve? For now, for example,
1: the CRISPR have some limitations, like the CRISPR cannot target the, cannot edit or targetable sequences, or it has some variable efficiencies and off-target issues, or any other issues. So I'm working to develop and engineer the CRISPR to improve their performance better. And then using the CRISPR, I'm trying to study the genomic function and also the epigenomic function of the human disease or other life.
0: I was curious. So, in your paper, in the in the competing interests section, you say that uh, you're preparing to file for some sort of intellectual property based based on uh, your work. Uh, can you talk more about it?
2: So, I think we can provide this software to academia or non-profit research institute without any charge. But if some company using CRISPR technology want to use our program i think they have to pay for us
0: okay yeah i'm 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 very curious how it works out for you especially since you you know described in a lot of detail in your paper how your program works uh, and and hopefully we'll talk about some of that today so anyone could just reimplement it themselves right So walk us through a typical CRISPR experiment. What what are the steps you need to do if you want to edit or or knock out some genes?
1: First, uh, you have to design the guide RNA sequence for your given target sequence, target genes, and then deliver the expression vector of Cas nine and guide RNA into the cells. Then follow the CRISPR constructs are expressed from the, from the construct, then they can edit the genomes. Usually it takes two to three days, or if, if you deliver the, the RMP complex, you can see the, the mutations within six hours. And then we have to see, we have to, um see and analyze the mutations because we cannot see the genomic sequence using the microscope or whatever we cannot see actually. So, um, usually now people using the, uh, high surface sequencing. So purify the genomic DNA from the cells and then amplify the targeted region using PCR, then make the sequencing library also using the PCR and then just the sequencing. Then um uh, the sequencing machine provide the the just provide the 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 sequencing information just written by A T G C whatever and then we have to analyze the sequencing data what they mean. So our program is about the
2: last step.
0: Yeah I think it's a very good overview of the of the whole thing. And I wanted to stop on each, each part separately. So we start with designing the guide RNA. What are the, what are the rules there? So you know the exact genomic location, right? Sort of be- between two n- nucleotides where you want mm-hmm. to introduce the, um, right. the double strand break. And, yeah. uh, how do you go from there from knowing the genomic location to the, exact sequence of your uh, guide right.
1: RNA. Right, so we should know the genomic sequence of the target region. And then the CRISPR has um, the PEM sequence is recognized by the Cas9 protein rather than the guide RNA. So um, most CRISPR systems have their unique PEM sequence. For example, the SP cas 9 have Recognize the dinucleotide of guanine. So first, we search the dinucleotide of guanine sequence in the target sequence target region, and then the most importantly, we have to search the target cover sequence in the genome. How many sequence similar to the 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 target cover sequence? Because the CRISPR cannot distinguish the one or two different sequence from the, of the, out of 20, 20 target sequence. So we have to exclude the target sequence, have some similar sequence in the entire genome. And then we just try.
0: Right. So, uh, so you start by looking for this double G, for example, uh, yeah. Pam PAM sequence, and then yeah. from there you take... Some some more uh, nucleotides, right? Yeah. Right. How 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 many do you need for for the it, whole it guide It depends earning?
1: on the the Cas9 type, but the most widely used CRISPR cas 9 we uh, the twenty nucleotides.
0: Right, and so that's it. You you just need to synthesize this uh, twenty twenty two uh, nucleotide. Yeah. DNA or yeah, yeah, and and then you and then you transcribe it to RNA? Uh yeah. The guide RNA is
1: transcribed from the usually people using the U U six promoter and some backbone sequence around eighty nucleotides and then put the twenty nucleotide into the vector. So usually it requires twenty four or twenty five oligonucleotides for cloning the vector.
0: Mhm. And and so then you have as you said you have to deliver this to the cells. Mm-hmm. Uh mm-hmm. so what what kind of vector do you guys use? Uh
1: we usually use the just normal u 6 and cmb construct the human expression vector or uh sometimes we can use lentiviral vectors um, whatever the the DNA vector uh, can harbor the cas9 encoding sequence and guide RNA encoding sequence.
0: So can can, uh, can you talk in in a bit more detail uh how that vector works, the the standard human expression vector, what it is and how it works?
1: Um the CRISPR is composed of two different components. The first one is Cas9 protein and the second one is guide RNA. So the Cas9 protein is, uh, expressed from, um, any appropriate promoters and it requires the some enhancers and terminators. So people usually using the expression vector for human cells like CMB promoter or EF1 alpha promoter. So, and the Cas9 construct is generally used. It's not different. From, it's not different for each target, so it is a universal construct. And then the guide RNA sequence, um, the guide RNA is transcribed from the um, U6 promoter, and it has some different. Uh, um, sorry, uh, it has the twenty sequence for complement each target and eighty nucleotides. For the guide RNA backbone sequence.
0: So you say U6 promoter, what what is it? Is it some kind of a plasmid or what do you actually deliver to the cells? So
1: the basically is deliver the plasmid, but I prefer to deliver the the protein RNA complex pre in preassembled assembled in vitro rather than the plasmid delivery. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Because because the ribonucleotide um uh, the effect is more faster than plasmid because it doesn't require the transcription or translation time. And then it has less toxicity than the plasmid method because uh, DNA itself, the, the plasmid itself is a little bit toxic to the cells. So I prefer the RMP delivery.
0: And so you work on, on just a cell culture or, or do you ever work on like uh, real tissues?
1: Uh, I'm working with uh, like culture cells,
0: right? Uh, and so, how how do you make sure that they uh, they absorb this uh, RNA protein complex? Can Can you just put it in into the whatever medium, and they'll just absorb it, or do you have to do something special for this to happen? Usually, using the electroporation. And so, what fraction of the cells are successfully? Affected uh, by this CRISPR uh, system, is it close to 100% if you wait enough?
1: It very depends on the cell line. Some cell lines uptake 90, over 90% of cells uptake the CRISPR construct. But some cell lines just less than 10% of them uptake the CRISPR construct. It very depends on the cell type.
0: What are your preferred cells? What what type of cells uh, work best with CRISPR? Mm, for the plasmid delivery, the human hek 3
1: or HILA cells are very good. And for the electro-operation, the K562 or GM12878 cell lines are very good for the beta experiment.
0: And so, for you, I understand this whole experiment where you, uh, perform the, the mutation and then sequence and, and look what the mutation was. Uh, so you can extract from this the information about how well different CRISPR systems work and maybe optimize mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Is that your main motivation? Yeah, that's right. But for others, they may want to screen these cells for a specific type of mutation which is desirable and then filter the that out from all the other mutations but then you have this problem that once you sequence the cells you you have to kill them and so even if there was this good mutation among them it is now gone those cells are dead so how would you make sure in this scenario that You can trace that back, like, if, if you sequence and you know that the mutation you're looking for is there, how can you trace that back to some live cells that you can then continue to culture? Uh, okay.
1: The experiment, the proposal is quite different for the, the extracted DNA from the bulk cells or, um, monitor the mutations in each cells. So if you want to verify the the exactly wanted mutations in the cells we have to make a clonal population from the bulk and then analyze the mutations uh, from the each clonal population
0: Right but but that wouldn't be very high throughput right because yeah, you that's, have that's to problem. to clone separately and then to sequence separately Yeah so if you're looking for a rare mutation, mm-hmm. right, that, that would be hard.
1: Yeah. That's true.
0: So do you expect most users of, of CRISPR to have basically the same motivation of just looking for an improved um, CRISPR system? Or are, are there any other applications that you envision?
1: Uh, uh, I don't like to restrict the 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 purpose of our program for just Monitor the mutations. Actually the our program is about analyze the mutations in the amplicant sequence.
0: Right. So so that's an interesting aspect. So before you sequence, you amplify uh your uh region of interest. And uh what what exactly is the goal of that step? Why why do you amplify before sequencing?
1: Um because the Whole genome sequencing is quite expensive for the the if they want to sequence a lot. So if we sequence the the genome from one million cells, we cannot. We don't. We don't need to sequence all of the entire genome. So if we have a particular region of interest, we just need to sequence the target sequence only. We can amplify. Amplify actually means the the amplify the target sequence than compared to the whole genome sequence.
0: Right. So it's not that you need a lot more uh, of the DNA material. You just use amplification to suppress all, all the rest that you don't care about. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And uh, and how big of a region do you amplify? Usually,
1: it it's decided for by the Illumina platform. Uh usually we use the the paired end with seventy five read, but it can be extended to one hundred fifty paired end or if we use the pack bio or other sequencing platforms, you can amplify more long sequence. Um so but, so you um, am-
0: amplify exactly the uh, the amount that you expect to be sequenced yeah the, around the, the sequence and then you probably like speaking about the costs of sequencing you probably want to combine many different samples or is your like a single sequencing run is just many different cells with possibly different mutations but still coming from the same experiment or do you try to multiplex
1: yeah, multiplexing, yeah, it's good. So, in our analysis, we showed that only 1,000 reads is enough to monitor the CRISPR efficiency. Uh, for example, the one mic run can provide 25 million reads. So, you can multiplex lots of sequencing libraries at the
0: same time. Yeah, but the- does that actually work in practice for you? Because you you, you need some kind of barcodes, right? And they're usually much, much more limited.
1: It, it depends on the, the experimental design. So if you want, for example, if you want to hundreds of thousands sequences at the same time, you don't need to use the Illumina barcode. Just adding the, the random sequence in the, the sequencing primers and then you can distinguish the libraries.
0: Ah, that's interesting. So, so you can just use primers as as, as a barcoding technique.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Okay, and so then you have a lot of sequenced applicants, and and this is where CRISPR-Pick starts its share of work. Speaking of CRISPR-Pick, let's uh, let's start with the name. So, CRISPR-Pick stands for Prefix index counting. And, uh, let's first define what you mean by, by the index here.
2: So CRISPR pick, CRISPR and the uh, experiments, you have target, right? No one's really do CRISPR without targeting, right? You have guide RNA in your mind. That's your experiment, right? That means you know where you're looking for where where you want to sequence. So that means, okay, we're looking at the, this region of interest in the genome by CRISPR-Cas9 and then we just look at that region and then we can expect all the deletions and insertions and substitutions around that double strand breakpoint because we know where it will be. We're not just random sequencing, right? We we expect the mutation induced by CRISPR-Cas9. So that's allow us to do pre-index most possible mutations at that site.
0: I think you you use the word index in in the paper several times, and it seems like maybe in some different meanings. So index here, you say, is just indexing the mutations.
2: Yeah, there's two different indexing. So it's actually, computing. Okay. Actually, so first one is we really kind of it's hash right? It's what it, we call maybe dictionary or a list of all the possible mutation. That's our first index. So we just built all the we just get a list of all the possible mutations, right? And then we detect them by exact matching. But problem is we have already sequencing error as a background, right? So exact match will not work all the time. So it depends on your experiments. Sometimes ninety percent of sequencing read can match to the our expected list of mutations without a with perfect match. But some experiments only 30% or 40% can match to one of our expected mutations. But that's not, that doesn't mean all reads come from wrong place. They contain some sequencing error someplace in the reads. That's the reason exact match cannot catch them, right? Because of that, actually alignment program actually developed to do some in exact match. But exam match is very fast, so that's the reason we tried to stick to the exact match. In exam match always costs way more time than exam match, but we cannot ignore the remaining risk, cannot match to one of our expected mutation. So we move to the second step. So we're using camera short nucleotide sequence, let's say eight base pairs, right? So we're using those eight base pairs at the breakpoint, double strand breakpoint, to the upstream and downstream. So we are moving outwards to the end. So since we only sliding eight base pair, it's less likely contains that eight base, that eight base pair contains a sequencing error within that. So many eight base pair index will not suffer from sequencing error. So that's the reason we can pinpoint the what happening between these two indices, you know, upstream eight base pair, downstream eight base pair, where we find them in the read. And then what is the relative distance between these two indices in the read compared to the expected distance in on the reference amplicon we're looking for.
0: It's a good overview of how crispr pick works, I think. But um, which of these parts do you call prefixed index counting? And what, where does that name come from? I'm just curious.
2: So prefixed comes from all the mutations. So deletion. Any deletion induced by CRISPR Cas9, they should encompass the double stand breakpoint, right? So from there you can expect okay, one base pair deletion towards the five prime at the breakpoint, or two base pair deletion towards the five prime from the breakpoint, and then you go all the way to the half of sequence, right? And then you can apply exact same thing to the downstream sequence, right? One base pair deletion at the downstream at the breakpoint. Two base pair deletion, three base pair deletion, right? And so on. So we can index, we can get all the expected mutation if CRISPR induced. Makes sense? So we just get all the deletion, possible deletions around the breakpoint and then we can start insertion, insert nucleotide at each position, right? If breakpoint, we can insert A or C or G or T as one nucleotide insertion or we can insert AA or AC 16 different nucleotide at the breakpoints too, right? And so on. So you can have some expected mutation as a pre-index.
0: Make sense? I'm, I'm, I'm still not catching the, the, the prefixed part. What, what's prefixed here?
2: Prefixed means re- prefixed.
0: Oh, prefixed.
2: Yeah, prefixed. Okay. Yeah, prefixed.
0: <laughs> I, th- I thought it was related to, to prefix. Oh, no, no, no. Prefixed. Yeah. Okay. So it's prefixed index.
2: So, we're looking only what we want to looking because sequencing error, some mutation can occur outside of double percent breakpoint, right? Maybe 20 base pair upstream of double percent breakpoint. Maybe something caused that mutation or a sequencing error, we're not sure, but they will not be, less likely they will induced by CRISPR, right? So, we fixed on the mutation we're looking for that we believe that's induced by CRISPR. That's
0: right. that's how
2: we reduce the analysis time dramatically.
0: Right. Right. So, so the first part I think of your algorithm is more or less straightforward. So the first part is you build this huge hash table of mm-hmm. all the possible um, sort of simple or, or common mutations. And then you can look up the amplicon in that table. And uh tell, you know, if if it's there you, you already know how that mutation how that sequence could have arise from which mutation,
2: right? Yes, that's correct.
0: Right. And then uh if there is no match in the hash table, then you have to do something more complicated.
2: Yes, that's record pattern matching using a base pair indices. That's yeah, that's second state.
0: Right. So uh So in the paper, you have this big and and very scary, I have to say, uh, flowchart, which, Mm -hmm. which describes the, the algorithm. But, um, yeah, let's, let's try to break it down, make, make it more accessible and less intimidating. Walk me through the algorithm. If the amplicon is not in the hash table.
2: Okay. We, some reads we try to find in the hash table. Okay. They're not in the hash table. And then we start looking. We have two different in this list of aimers, eight base pairs at the breakpoint. So upstream and the downstream, right?
0: You don't a priori know where the break, where the double stranded break is. No, we we know.
2: We should know because any CRISPR Cas9 they have experimental design, right?
0: Right, so you know it in the reference, but not in your read, so in your no, read not you don't in the know read
2: no no, so so this index is actually built from your expected amplicons, right right, so and then that's thing from there, so we using our reference amplicon. if there's no mutation error, this is our baseline, right,
0: so the pattern matching part also relies on a pre indexed yes data structure right it's it's not just the so the first part is you have this hash table which is essential in the index but for the second part you also build an index
2: yes from the reference yes we actually yeah stick to the prefixed fixed space
0: right okay so you in the reference part in the reference amplicon mm-hmm. you've uh, you know where the expected break site is Mm-hmm. yeah and and then uh what do you do next
2: from there so let's say breakpoint there first a base pair to the upstream is your first index in the upstream list, and then let's say one base pair away towards the upstream that's your second a base pair in the upstream list and then third base pair away and so on right
0: right so it's just a a list a list of k-mers upstream of yeah, the, by one, of the tiling by one base pair. Yeah.
2: And then the other actually imply the location, the distance away from breakpoint, right? So first one is right. zero base pair. Second one is one base pair away. And then third one, two base pair away and so on, right? Mm-hmm. And then we build the exact same thing to the downstream as well, mm-hmm. right? So now that's our starting point. So we have some read that matched to one of our expected mutation due to some sequencing error somewhere in the lead. So let's say we looking first A-Base pair from upstream. Can you, can, can you find that in the read or not, right? So if we find that, right? So we found first A-Base pair in the upstream list. Okay, we find them and then we move to the downstream, right? We also found first A-Base pair in the downstream on the read. And then we looking at the, okay, is there any nucleotides between these two indices in the read? Maybe nothing. So they are not next to each other in the read. And then, these are our first element from two lists. So they also not expected any nucleotide and the reference genome error, right? Because they, they are first from each set. So this is wild type. This read doesn't match to one of our expected mutations because they have sequencing error somewhere in the read. That's the reason they cannot match to the wild type sequence at the first place. But based on our pattern match, okay, we're looking at the first APS pair from both upstream and downstream list. We found them in the read, then right next to each other, we conclude that this read are white type. Makes sense?
0: Right. So I, I think it's uh easier to explain the other way around. So if you if you have a deletion around the double strand break side around your expected break point, uh then uh you sort of a look at the next kmer to the right and the next kmer to the left, and yeah. they in the resulted uh, in the resulting amplicon they will be next to each other, right? So yes. then, if you start mm-hmm. from the amplicon and you look at those two kmers, mm-hmm. then you can map them back essentially to the reference, mm-hmm. and you will know how big of a part was deleted around the break site. The problem is that in your amplicon, you don't actually know again wh- where the breakpoint is. Instead of taking KMERS from the amplicon and mapping them to the reference, you do the other way around because in the reference, you know the breakpoint, but in the amplicon, you don't.
2: Yes, that's correct. That's the reason we're starting these k in the read and then their location actually fly where is the breakpoint. So, But sometimes, this A base appear two times in the read, right? Mm-hmm. In the case, it's unclear. It's not clear, right? And then we throw them away because we cannot tell where will be the breakpoint among the, those two locations, right? For most cases, we see only one time of this A base pair in the amplicon as well, and then yeah, that's their breakpoint around their breakpoint. Well, sometimes A base pair is kind of sure. Sometimes you can see. Same APS, but two times, you know, sequence read, amplicon. And then, yeah, we cannot tell. Among those two locations, we found which one is going to be breakpoint. We cannot do that. So those things, we cannot, we discard them. But that's not that many cases, very few cases like that.
0: Right. So, yeah, I think it's just interesting because of this, right? Usually we think of mapping reads to the genome. But in mm-hmm. your case, it's more like mapping genome to the read. Yes. Right? Because you, you take k-mers from the reference and you, and you try to find them in the, in the amplicon.
2: That's a good way to say. Maybe I need to use your way to say to other people as well. That's a very good way to say about our algorithm.
0: And so you essentially, in the, in the reference, you go further and further apart from the, from your expected breakpoint and, uh, you continue until you start finding k-mers that occur in the applicant, right? And and that's, that's how you know how much, how much was deleted or maybe something got inserted and, and so on.
2: Yes, that's
3: correct.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I'm wondering what, what about like possible snips uh, in your reference? So what, what if your reference does not correspond to the genotype of the cells you're working on? Does that ever happen?
2: So if that's the case, so this is our amplifier sequencing, right? So if there's nothing happen and then there is snip there, but it's y-type to that sample, right? Yeah. And and then most usually most abundant amplicon will be Y type.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then that will be our baseline, right? So if some people has uh some person has a snip in some portion, but that's their Y-type amplicon as the most abundant. So we can correct that at the beginning, yeah.
0: Okay, so you don't actually use, like, the human genome as as your reference, but instead you infer the reference from your reads. Yeah, we're cheating
2: on the human reference genome you know, as make sure we amplifying the reason we are interested in, right? At the same time, looking at our sequencing data, actually, we can see, actually, is the SNP exists or not before starting an- analyzing data.
0: Okay, So y- so you have to look both at the human genome the whole human genome, and at this most frequent uh, most frequent amplicant. So you ha- does this happen inside your tool? How do you combine those two?
2: At the Y-type sequence, you already checking. Actually, this is what we expect to see. So usually, that's the reason our input takes as input are the expected amplicant and Cas9 breakpoint, right? So we're not providing this amplicon by ourselves. We ask you, in, the users, to input that expected amplicon.
0: Okay, so it's it's on the user to extract that most frequent read, and and provide it to you.
2: Or they have to check. Yeah, they have to check. Mm-hmm. But they can start with reference, you know, and then something's If that's the case, something will go wrong, right? You can tell easily, right? Yeah. Because white type will not be most frequent at the final table. And then you will be aware of something wrong, and then maybe you can take a look at your data carefully. And then you provide expected African considering this SNP position, and then rerun again. Since this takes only less than minutes, so you can run, I think, two or three more times to fix your error.
0: That makes sense. And then there are microhomologies. So can you explain what microhomologies are and why they cause problems?
1: Um. The microhomology is a, a same repetitive sequence appear twice or more than one time in the amplicon. So because the microhomology sequence is the sequence are identical, so it can be aligned in many ways. So uh when the alignment program aligns the microhomology sequence inappropriately and it is uh at the border of mutation region. It's ambiguous sometimes it can be mutated or analyzed into mutated or unmutated. So it's a basic problem of the sequence alignment program. Uh, but in the our program it the the, the sequence hash tables Already you know the microhomology can be here and here, and um, you can distinguish this microhomology sequence, uh, mutated or not correctly.
2: Maybe I give you a simple example. So let's say A, we have six base pair deletion, right? But at the six base pair, first base pair is A, last base pair is also A, right? So that means you can make deletion A either first upstream or downstream. The usual alignment program, which A is deleted by chance, because to the scoring metric, scoring of alignment doesn't have any changes. You know, if you delete the upstream A or downstream A, it's same penalty. Right. Make sense? Yeah. But to us, actually, we delete A and then upstream, downstream systematically, and then we know those both deletion end up same sequence hmm so we have three indexed three fixed index we know okay these two deletions can end up same sequence and that we annotate that, in our hash table.
0: right so it results in an ambiguity in both your algorithm well, in your alg- algorithm, it's not really an ambiguity right it's uh but y- but you do say like I don't know what exactly the the deletion was.
2: Yeah, there's no way you can do that unless you actually right. put the marker on the each age, right? And then there's no yeah. point of doing that anyway, right? right? So biologically, it doesn't really matter whether you delete it. upstream A or downstream A. It, eventually they end up same sequencing, right? So all we need to know is, okay, two deletion event can generate same sequence. That's all we need to know. That's the reason we, our deletion frequency by position is not biased at all. So when we see, okay, 10, amplicons match to this event, right? And then we know these two mutation two deletion events end up same sequencing. So we actually count five times for first deletion and they count five times for the second deletion. rather than them picking randomly, you know.
0: And so you're saying in in a program based on on alignment, mm-hmm. those might be split between multiple types of mutations or multiple different alignments and th- and they, they would be split randomly
2: and split randomly but within one alignment they choose one side yeah so sometimes okay you run program this this run, they pick all the upstreams only and then you run second time again maybe they pick all downstream Within run they're not actually picking up randomly. you know they usually put one direction based on some random seed in their program
0: yeah. And, uh, I, I just have to say that I don't approve of the word microhomology here because, you know, h- homology is this concept from evolutionary biology, which means that two things have common evolutionary origin. And, but when you yeah. say microhomology, it just doesn't make any That's sense. This my at
2: confusing all. too, but in the CRISPR cas nine world, who soon is, is expert in they're using word that way. Yeah. <laughs> I was so confused at the beginning and that soon explained to me. About that, and then, yeah, microhomology in the Cas9 CRISPR field. Actually, that's the word for them. But to me, as a sequencing analysis person, that's, it's quite confusing.
1: Okay. I would like to say that it's, it's not the word of CRISPR field. It's a word from the DNA repair studies. It's calling the microhomology mediated end joining repair. So the microhomology is kind of the, Homology sequence between the upstream and downstream of the double-strand break site. back sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And 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 you're right. That it's it sort of goes back to this. Uh, so originally there was this homology uh, mediated repair, or what mm-hmm. was it like ho- yeah, homologous yeah. end joining? Yeah. Um. And and so then they they just uh, made variations of that term, but of course that term was not very correct to begin with but yeah, now yeah yeah we, we okay. have it for too long to to change i okay. suppose yeah um and so so we talked about microhomology in the context of just sequence analysis mm-hmm. but this microhomology mediated uh dna repair does it itself mm-hmm. uh matter in in this context is it something you have to to account for or to deal with when when doing these sorts of experiments
1: um, usually, there is some study showing, shows the microhomology mediated repair is, uh, frequent than random deletion, random repair. I would like to recommend to consider the microhomology sequence between the upstream and downstream from the double the break site of the CRISPR. is has some advantage to mutations we wanted such as the auto frame sequence
2: actually in fact beautifully biological and mathematical say same thing let's say it's micro homology in there so enzyme tend to connect them together right so you're gonna see more insertion deletion between this micro right but at the same time thanks to this microhomology, many different deletion insertion events ends up same sequence so let's say our index okay this sequence has a five different deletion mutation, right? So five different mutation, mutation can end up same sequence, right? Usually those have the sequence have more frequent than any other sequence. So enzyme try to fix using microhomology to concatenate them and then, but deletion is actually happening at that event. At the same time, mathematically, microhomology actually end up same sequence from different mutation events. So you see more actually frequent events in the sequencing count and at the same time. So our program actually CRISPR pick is most beneficial when you target the area of region that has microhomology around it. Or
3: mm-hmm.
2: other alignment programs actually suffer from that, but ours are stand. So if you target some area that doesn't have any microhomology, our program and others are performance kind of similar, but when target region has microhomology, actually our program superior to any other approach.
0: Right. Interesting. And so all the other options are based on alignment, right? As I know, yes. Right. But, but that's still not align, aligning to the whole human genome, but uh, aligning just to the uh, amplicon reference.
2: That's it. Yeah. Because that save a lot of time too, right? If you try to, you know, where you're looking for. So they, Better to align to the expected amplicon rather than entire human genome, right? That way yeah. they can say anyway. So Chris, the Cas9 analyzer or Chris Pressel, yeah, they align back to the expected amplicon.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But we do vice versa, right? As you, your expression, I like it a lot. We <laughs> mapping reference to the read, right? That's why we're doing. Right,
0: right, right. And so you chose the K-mer size as eight, right? What, what were the considerations? What happens if you if you make it much bigger or much smaller than that? That's
2: one of the options. So we start eight, usually unique enough within twenty base pair, uh, two hundred base pair, three hundred base pair. Of course, you looking at the whole genome space, eight base it's very bad length. You have to be more than longer than twenty base pair. But since we're looking at the expected amplicon, which is about 20 base pair or so, right? Usually 8 base pair, three, unique enough in most cases. But if not, actually we suggest to increase 9 base pair or 10 base pair. But at the same time, so it's a uh, there's counter property, right? So it, you, it's like a sensitivity and specificity. So if you increase camera, you getting you have better chance of being specific, right? Unique in the space. At the same time, you have a higher chance of having sequencing error within that window. Right. So we start from eight, but you cannot find anything. We our program automatically engaged to the nine base pair and ten base pair, one base pair incrementally to get the better result.
0: Yeah. So you have uh, sort of auto detection of the kmer size.
2: So, uh, let's say so. As I mentioned earlier. This 8-base pair found in multiple place and read Amplicon, we -hmm. cannot use them, right? Yeah. So when we build the list of upstream and downstream, so many indices actually found in multiple place, and then we actually automatically increased one base pair to build a new list. Especially the 8-base pair cameras very close to the breakpoint within maybe 3-base pair. That means first three cameras have to be unique within expected amplicon. Any one of them is not unique in the expected amplicon, we increase the increase the nine base pair camera instead of eight base pair camera.
0: Okay, that's uh that's pretty cool. Um is there anything else about CRISPR Pig that you, you wanted to cover that we didn't talk about?
2: I think you covered very well. How about Sumo?
0: Yeah. I think the I think so and
1: but the most important thing for the general scientist is that the sequencing alignment program is uh, take a very long hours or days to analyze a uh, uh, 100,000 or millions of sequencing reads but the our program just take um within 1 minute in the personal laptop not the the high computing servers so yeah i would like to advertise
0: <laughs> That that's awesome yeah good job <laughs> so so what are your uh future plans with this so now you have the tool that works really well and it, and it's very fast as you say now i guess you'll move on to your actual problem right of uh Maybe designing a uh, better CRISPR system. What will it be like? What What are you going to do with this? How are you going to apply it?
2: Sumo, can you Can you talk about the optarget plan? or it's secret? Uh
1: I don't like to say that. But uh, using the CRISPR pig, we can study about each mutation. Or, for example, now the researchers using. The CRISPR and knock out the genes and then just study the function of genes. But the CRISPR can induce a very diverse mutations in the, in the targeted sequence. So, um, not only the on or off manner, we also study the function of each mutation. For example, not the genes. For example, the uh, promoters or enhancers. And transcription factor binding sequences. I think the CRISPR-PIG is very useful tool for the analyze the mutation spectrum and mutation type from the very large sequence files. And then also the CRISPR-PIG is very useful for the analyze the single cell uh, data, not only the CRISPR-induced mutations, like the single cell barcode of the CRISPR um mediated experiment or the perturbed state experiment.
0: Oh that that's really interesting. So are you are you saying you could apply the uh single cell RNA sequencing methods to essential yes, DNA right. sequencing around the yes. around your double strand break? hmm Right. That's very cool. So so you essentially have this very high throughput barcoding
3: Mm-hmm.
0: At at the level of single cells. Yeah. Have you have you already done an experiment like that? Uh yeah.
1: Not not very much. Not very frequently, but yeah, I have experienced people.
0: Cool. There is also this paper and uh and you cited in your paper, so you're aware of it, uh, that shows that when when you have a CRISPR mutation, right, we, we usually look around this expected break site but there are some large-scale uh-huh. mutations some rearrangements or they could be also like far away from the from the break point uh-huh. and so I was, I was wondering what your take on this is and uh, especially if you're designing a better crispr system maybe your main concern shouldn't be what happens exactly at the um, Break site, but what happens around it? Because there could be much larger um, structural variations induced, mm-hmm. and uh, and it doesn't look like CRISPR-Pick really can can discern them, or or in general this approach of uh, you know y- using a short amplicon to classify the mutations.
1: Basically, the crispr pic can handle the a very large uh, sequence construct or structural variations because the whatever the sequence uh the sequence should be amplified by the polymerase and primers before sequencing, so the crispr pig just requires the, the amplicon sequence not not the exactly hold the amplicon sequence the crispr pig requires the end of sequence and uh whatever the inside sequencing the crispr pig can. Extract the sequence from the most abundant wild type sequence. So, crispr Puppy can handle the, 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 a very large long sequence and any other structural variation. But the problem is the, is sequencing technology and, um, also is true that the polymerase has a limitation of amplified the, the DNA stretch is up to 10 kb. So, I think it's a technical problem the crispr pick can handle any issues you mentioned.
0: Hmm. So are you saying you would amplify not just the region corresponding to the read length, but a much larger region? Yeah. Is Would that be the idea? Oh, Yeah, that's true.
2: So actually crispr pick as a program doesn't have any limitation. As long as you provide good sequencing data may contain these large deletions, right? But actually that comes, the difficulty comes from actually sequencing itself. So as you, as you, yeah, you provide good sequencing data to the CRISPR, yeah, we can handle that.
0: Right. But if you're, if you're still using short read sequencing, w- would it work with amplicons that are not all of the exact same region, but they are sort of pieces of a bigger amplified region? Would it still work correctly?
2: In that case, imp- expect amplicon, not just 200 SP, right? It could be maybe one MB or 2 KB and so on. So in that case, we need free index, free fixed index growing dramatically, right? I testing up to 2000 base pair. Speed is not suffered that much. But I'm pretty sure we extend this length to the 100 K or something like that. Yeah, it's gonna. It My program could start going to be slow, I think.
0: But but it would still work correctly if, if the read is much shorter than the whole amplicon.
2: Oh, yes, yes. So expect sequence is, it's way bigger than what you see, right? So it's all based on your experimental design. So you have to put the primer outside of your deletion, right? Any primer within that deletion, right? Deletion, they're not even successfully amplified read anyway, right?
0: But you expect that the, uh, the read is sort of flanked from the, from both sides by, by primers, right? And it won't be the case in case of short reads and long amplicons.
2: These two steps, right? You treat you have Cas9, CRISPR Cas9 experiments. Yeah. And then you wanna look at what happened by sequencing, right? Mm-hmm. So when you sequence your primer with design A primer will give you the what kind of event you can see, right? So if a primer any large deletion any primer sitting on the large deletion, they cannot even amplify the yeah. read error. And then that's technical limitation, right? Right. That's what we meant. So as long as you have some better technical design, uh, the sequencing design, and they have good sequencing data to detect this large deletion, afterwards crispr can handle that. But if not, yeah, there's no way we can handle that. So you have come with very you know, smart... Sequencing experiments to detect these large deletions, and then someone has some idea. We will work on that soon.
0: But I, I mean, if if you have the two primers are far apart, Mm -hmm. and and there is still like a significant deletions inside it. In
2: that in that case, we can't delete that. We can't detect them. Yes. So your primer is about two MB apart, right? Two megabits, two MB apart, and any deletion within that size, we should be able to see that. Yeah, but. But that's a technical problem. So there is no polymerase can amplify it to MB.
0: Yes. Okay, but even even if it's much shorter, if it's much shorter than that, but but if the reads are even yet shorter,
2: maybe 2K, I think we can handle that. Yeah, is without big problem.
0: So like 2Kb amplicon but if you're using like 200 base reads, would that work?
2: And then, yeah, 100 base pair will contain, let's say, it's 2000 base pair deletion, right? And then mm-hmm. for sequence will capture the planking
0: outside of deletion, right? Oh, right, right. So, yeah. So you'll find that one sequence that yes. uh, covers the break. Ah, I see. Right. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. Very nice. All right, guys. Um, it was fun talking to you. And um, thank you for coming. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for inviting